and welcome back to another episode of Blossom Town. I am your host, Stephen Weed, and of course, always joining me, my co-host, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Mr. Walter Lukashensky. Walter, it's been two weeks, two weeks too long. We've been counting down the days, the hours, the minutes, the seconds, until I get to see that beautiful face and that gorgeous voice. How the hell are we? Dude, I'm doing pretty well. I was actually in Florida this last week for a few days with my mother and my sister, which was good just to kind of get away for a little bit. But it is good to be back here. This is going to be the last week, upcoming anyways, that we have off before we're back into every single week for the NFL season. Really excited about that. Not nearly as excited as I should be pointing out right now. I get to look at a bareback Steven at this moment right now. In all this glory, it's going to be hard for me to focus in this show. The other couple things I want to say real Wally, quick. Wally, my eyes are up here, bud. Come I'm on. not looking there. I promise you that. I ain't looking at your eyes right now, buddy. But a <laughs> couple, <laughs> couple other things here before we get going too crazy. I swear on everything, this was real. I had a dream last night. And you know when you have a dream and it feels real? That you can't be talked out of it. They're like, this was a premonition. I got did you to have see, an epiphany last night? I did. And it makes no sense, but here I am talking myself into it. It was the Green Bay Packers playing the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. And I remember waking up and being like, that can't make any sense. Brady's not there in New England anymore. But it would just seem so perfect if Bill Belichick could find a way to get his seventh immediately after Brady. And then, on the other hand... It would also be perfect if Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers got found a way to get that second ring in that Aaron Rodgers tenure in seemingly the last year of his Green Bay Packer experience. So I honestly am kind of feeling like the football gods want me to bet on that being the Super Bowl, Steven. Yeah, go ahead. Spend all of your spend all of your money on the Patriots making it to the Super Bowl guy. Unless Hell, unless Pat Mahomes tears his ACL, Josh Allen tears his ACL, everyone on the Titans rosters tears their ACL, then Lamar Jackson tears their ACL. You never know. That 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 slot for the AFC could be wide open. But Wait, I don't know. What it's about only Josh a matter Rosen? of time. You said Josh Rosen. What about what's going on with Josh Rosen? I just saw he got cut. I thought I said Josh Allen. Oh, Josh Allen. This is perfect. We really are back. No, you're back. I'm fucking... I think I you said left, Josh maybe. Rosen. We'll let them figure it out because that's staying in there for one of us to be wrong. Josh, yeah, Josh Rosen's cut. Fuck him. Yeah, that makes sense. Other things, though, real quick, and then we'll jump into our normal part of the show. I don't know if you had a chance to see, but you know I'm going to talk myself into it because that's the type of person I am. A lot of noise coming out of the Raiders and Rams scrimmage today that not only did Hunter Renfro dominate Jalen Ramsey, the proverbial number one corner in the league. But on top of that, there were reports that the Raiders defense not only looked okay, they looked halfway decent. Look out. Super Bowl champs. I'm ready to drink it in. Jesus I'm ready, Christ. dude. Jesus. Okay, yeah, I get it. Kansas City, Oakland, or Vegas is the only team that gives Kansas City problems. But come on, guy. You, it's all smoke and mirrors. This is this is all you say. Free agency, all the all these talks of what could happen if these players sign with this team. Everything in the training camps are all smoke and mirrors right now. And there's no fucking way Hunter Refro is smoking Jalen Ramsey. 
there's multiple no, reports. That's all I'm saying. There's multiple reports out there. That means nothing. That means fucking nothing. Epstein didn't kill himself. The Vegas Raiders are not going to be that team. You're you're not that guy, pal. You're not that guy. I'm kind of like flattered though that you would put us in the same conversation though. But I'm just telling you, watch out because if the Raiders defense Remember, I say this all the time. It's like my favorite stat to pull out. Derek Carr has not been a part of a Raiders team that has had a top 20 defense. That's all I'm asking. Give me 16, and I'll be happy because I think that a 16-ranked defense couldn't be the makings of a 10-7, Raiders team. But we're, we're getting too into the Raiders. What do you say we throw it into the fun talking points over the last couple weeks? Yeah, John Gruden says he took over as the, as the Raiders coach. That team has led up the most amount of points in the NFL. So, yeah, you put a defense compared to the, the defenses that he's had in the past three years, any defense is going to look good. You do have some pieces. It's all talk. How fast are people actually going to this 100%, especially the starters? They don't care. They want to make sure that they can stay 100% for as long as they can during the duration of the season. All smoke and mirrors, Wally. I'm going to be the one to kind of bring you back down to this earth and maybe maybe you should stay off the Labatt Blues guy. My goodness. We'll keep the Raiders talk, if that's okay with you. Hall of Fame happened. It was happening the weekend going into our last episode. So you know we got to talk about it a little bit. We saw great speeches between Calvin Johnson, Peyton Manning. I saw a couple. I didn't get to see all the ones I wanted to, but of course we have to open up the floor for Walter to talk about Tom Flores. And we both get to talk about Charles Woodson because that's our guy. So how awesome was it to finally see Tom Flores get in have that speech in there. It's a brittle old man, but better late than never. No, you, you know, it's it's one of those moments that as a fan of that team, it's special. But being that person or being a part of that family, it, I can't imagine. Like, this is a guy that's in his mid-80s now that should have been in 20 years ago. And I know that I'm going to take a very Raiders, I guess, lens here, but this applies to all teams. But like you have the Raiders. There's guys like Ken Stabler. He passed away like three or four years ago, but he got inducted the year after he passed away. You have Cliff Branch, who regrettably is no longer here with us. And he'll probably eventually get in. You see guys like, I know the Bengals is the one that always gets me because my dad, they always are like stamping on the ground because you have Ken Riley and Ken Anderson who have not made it in yet. There's only one Bengal in the Hall of Fame. That's crazy to say out loud, but it's true. And... Ken Anderson probably won't make it in his lifetime. Ken Riley won't make it. He's already, unfortunately, again, kind of like Cliff Branch, regrettably passed away too early. Dude, this sucks. I, I hate this part about the NFL where it's almost like you glorify these guys after they die instead of giving them the opportunity while they're alive. When Tom Flores was speaking, I was getting like legitimately choked up just because you could hear in his voice how much it meant to him. You could see on his family's face how much it meant to him. And it just sucks that it's been 20 years too long that his family, friends, Raiders fans, NFL fans couldn't celebrate it. But you asked me what I thought. I mean, dude, yeah, I, I didn't have a dry eye for most of the night. I mean, this is realistically the beginning of when we grew up with these guys playing football. And it's like we're finally that age where these Hall of Fame ceremonies, you're like, wow, yeah, I can see why this was really a big deal growing up because these are our guys now. Now we're only going to be showing our age each and every year. 
They already have the 2022 list of, nom- of nominees that they have on there. We're going to get into that, but we got to cover Charles Woodson. And the main question I have to ask, obviously I'm assuming that you had you watched the Charles Woodson speech and ceremony. First of all, it was awesome. Nothing but energy, just like he brought on the field every single game that he was a part of. For our boys, the Raiders and the Packers. But I have to ask you this. Great speech. A, what did you think of it? And B, when he was telling all those people to stand up, if you're a Raiders fan, if you're a Packers fan, if you're just a fan of me, a coach, a teammate, a player of his, stand up. Did you stand up? I wish I actually did stand up, but I was just my sappy ass crying, sitting on in my medicine bowl in my room watching it. What I will say. I feel real bad for that medicine bowl. You should feel bad for it. it. It loses PSI each day while it's sitting in here. I tell you what. What I will say for Charles, though, on that speech, yeah, I mean, he brought up Fremont, Ohio. He's an Ohio kid. He brings up being a Michigan man from his tenure there, where, I mean, kids, even our age, I feel like we're on that, like, kind of cusp of people remembering watching him. He was one of the best defensive players in the history of college football. He won a Heisman as a defensive player. Then he goes to the Raiders, outstanding for his first five or six years, goes to Green Bay. He really, we we joke about it and we talk about it where he had multiple Hall of Fame careers. It felt like he had a Hall of Fame career with the Packers. He had a Hall of Fame career with the Raiders. And what I love about Charles Woodson is when you watch this speech, a lot of players that played for a couple teams, they have one or two that they'll really focus on. What he did instead is he made it so he that Packers fans, that Raiders fans knew, dude, I'm a part of you forever. This isn't a competition thing. Raider Nation for life. Cheesehead for life. And if basically you watched me, you enjoyed watching me play, we're all going in together. It was a really touching moment just because we really are. It's that moment where you realize that our fandom kind of has a shelf life too. These guys play life has a shelf life. And it, I mean, it was just touching. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm droning on here just because it was, it was cool to see two Raiders in at the same time. But Charles Woodson, if there was ever a person that deserved to end a hall of fame speeches, it was that guy. I want to toss up between him or Peyton, but yeah, the energy he brought, it's just such, it was a great speech to wrap up the whole weekend and kind of, the way he presented himself, but his speech in general, that was just in a nutshell what all those players are like and what he is like. So for him to wrap it up and just on the biggest stage in football at this point in his career is awesome. And, oh, you know, we always dog a little bit, but Raider for life. I just love that he, he likes to wear his green and yellow every now and again. When he was on ESPN, he had his little – what it's not a handkerchief it's uh something fancier that I'm, i'll never be rich enough to to know what it is but if it was the packers who was covering he had his he had his green and yellow one on if it's basically anything else it's he's got the black and silver on for for the raiders but it was i stood up that's why i wanted to ask i stood up a because a part of me thought you were standing up and i was like i can't let wally stand up and me not stand up that's just not i'm not being a good friend i'm not being a good co-host so I just thought it was right. And B, to your point, we're getting to that age where we don't I didn't necessarily have to remember or, you know, remember seeing Charles Woodson play in college. But I remember him playing with the Raiders. I'm like, man, pipe dream. I would love to have a guy like that on the Packers. It ends up coming true. Like I remember having to wipe my eyes because this isn't this wasn't like picking up Julius Peppers three years outside of his prime. This is getting Charles Woodson for maybe the last two years of his prime 
ends up this dude's prime was was his career. And to your point, the multiple Hall of Fame careers, two first and second team All Pros from each team. I think it was four Pro Bowls, five Pro Bowls with the Raiders, four with the Packers. Defensive Rookie of the Year with the Raiders, Defensive Player of the Year with the Packers, and then obviously got the ring with Green Bay. But that is that's two Hall of Fame careers. This isn't that question mark when they always have. Does Tom Brady have three Hall of Fame careers? And that middle that middle section is always a little bit of questionable. It's a fact. Charles Woodson, two Hall of Fame careers in one. And the dude played till he was forty and. He was playing better than the rookies that they were drafting. So I love seeing Charles Woodson. It was so nostalgic and so close to me, obviously, for you know, for you as well. So it was awesome. And now it's just gonna get more depressing with all the all these names coming up here. You're absolutely right. The only last thing I would say too is that he was one of those guys that while you got to see play, he adjusted his playing style throughout his career, where he got to lean on that natural physical skill, that natural football IQ at his young points in his career, but then in his latter part of his Packers tenure, and then in his, that second Raiders tenure, that all went to the, up here, all into the brain. And he would put himself in those positions to make plays purely on his experience. And that's not something, I don't feel like you see that as a trait with many players to have that like level of what acumen for the game on top of being physically gifted he was able to go from being a physical freak to saying hey I need to be more of a cerebral player and good for him I mean if there's ever been a player to deserve it you're right Peyton Manning he deserved being the last speech too but I also think it says a lot about Peyton Manning that he's able to sit there and say hey I'm like the face of the quarterbacks in this era outside of Tom Brady but Charles Woodson he deserves his stripes too this guy was special I can't wait for next year hopefully I don't know, maybe there'll be a Packers-Raiders Hall of Fame game. We get to go up there for the weekend or just go up there in general just to dick around a little bit. But, of course, like anything in NFL, right when one thing ends, the two early predictions, too early this, that, and the other, the next day comes out. So we already have the 22 nominees. A few that stuck out to me. My man, my guy, Steve Smith. Steve Smith Sr., because the guy fucks. Forgot to add that portion into it. Andre Johnson, Tony Romo, just to name a few. But obviously, we want to hone in here on a couple. Steve Smith, that's my guy. I grew up in North Carolina. There really isn't any fan base for a professional team there because they're so invested in the Duke-UNC basketball rivalry. But growing up, A, Carolina Panthers were absolutely dog shit outside of a couple years. And Steve Smith and the aforementioned Julius Peppers, those were the guys down there. Those were your dogs, your leader on your offense, your leader on your defense. So Steve Smith, that's my guy. I think that he's going to get in on there. What are your thoughts about these couple nominees before we get in? Let's, let's be real. Before we get into Tony Romo, I want your thoughts on Andre Johnson. He's in. What's your thoughts on Steve Smith? The wide receiver position in the Hall of Fame is probably, in my opinion, the deepest out of any position in the entire Hall. Maybe with defensive backs. Maybe. What I will say is that Steve Smith and Andre Johnson are very deserving. Whether they're as quickly into the Hall as they potentially should be, we'll see. I mean, this is the same Hall of Fame that kept Tim Brown out for three years because he was basically going up with Jerry Rice like he had any chance. He's one of the best wide receivers in the history of the game, and he had to wait several years. So 
regrettably, you're seeing this happen more and more often. T.O., he had his own similar thing where he waited probably longer than he should. You said it. Andre Johnson's in. The Cortland Finnegan fight is going to be one of those fun things we get to see for about a year in the lead-up because that was one of the most iconic things, iconic fights you could remember. Steve Smith, talk about a guy with a competitive fire that you don't see, let alone like throughout the league, but in general. The guy is is confident and is responsibly arrogant. And I mean that is a good term. The guy was awesome. I'd love to see him make it in now if he gets in right away because you have guys like Tory Holt out there that are still waiting too. The Isaac Bruce, stuff like that. I, I, would, I would probably say that you're going to have to wait a little while. But I won't be upset if Steve Smith gets in potentially earlier than the precedent is set. I mean, those two guys are, are unbelievable, man. What what is your thought when you first saw these two guys? I mean, don't you start wondering too? Because like, what do you have to do to get in as a wide receiver? This is ridiculous. Well, there's always it's it's always a thought in my mind because there's just so much change within every decade, like ten to twelve years. There's always that change. So obviously, these stats are going to be a little bit padded depending on the generation that you're in. But Steve Smith, I mean, he's right there with Andre Johnson. He's one of Steve Smith is one of the twenty eight receivers. Sorry, one of the 29 receivers ever to have 80-plus touchdowns, right? Antonio Brown's right behind him. He should he should get at least one this year. So I'm expecting him to be one of 30. When you put that, you know, with the tens, the tens of thousands of players that have played, regardless of how the game changes, that's pretty solid because there's a lot of great names on here. Hell, Don Hudson is number 11. Last game he played – was in 1945, and he almost cracked 100. You know, you got your Tim Browns, you know, your Tony Gonzalez. But even then, like in a tight end game where they really weren't passing that much, Tony Gonzalez was getting that because he was that premier guy for the Chiefs and obviously for the Falcons towards the tail end of that. Then for receiving yards, you have Steve Smith sitting at 8, 14,731. Everyone above him is in the Hall of Fame. Andre Johnson, he's sitting at number 11. Then receptions, you got... Andre at 11, Steve Smith at 12. So it's hard for me to give the nod to Andre and not give the nod to Steve Smith at this time. But I think, I don't know if they'll put this in their decision-making, but if you if you stack Andre and Steve Smith together, you're going to pick Andre to be the more dominant receiver. Yet here's Steve Smith right neck and neck with him because their size is so different. Steve Smith was that 5'9 guy torching you. He wanted those double teams so he could torch you. And Andre Johnson was just a physical specimen like most of these receivers in the hole, I think that they have to give the nod to Steve if you're giving it to Andre because Steve had to do more with less. I mean, And that's talk- talking about physical attributes as well as his team around him, let alone the Texans never had a team up until exactly. No, no, you're absolutely right. Now, what I would say, too, is that this is why it's so hard to put every single position group player in the same, I guess, like grouping because Steve Smith and Andre Johnson were just completely different players. They were embodying of everything that can be different, but elite at the same time with wide receivers. You just said it. Steve Smith is small. He was physical. He talked shit. He was in your face. He wanted that competition. Andre Johnson, on the other hand, he was quiet, hardworking, big, strong, the prototypical guy. They both deserve it. They just both have different qualities that made them get there and when you go back and you talk about that era of football 
You need to talk about Steve Smith. You need to talk about Andre Johnson. They both should get in. I just hope that it's early rather than later. And I guess we'll have to wait and see. And you want to talk about shit talking. This guy was the king of shit talking. Obviously in Carolina, he was chirping all the time. He's an absolute dog. And like I was saying, being 5'9", 5'10", in the NFL like that, you have to have some part of you internally ticking like that. But my favorite, I'm going to try to get this video up on our Instagram, but Steve Smith in Baltimore facing Carolina after they cut him is amazing. The shit talk that he acts. I think he scored like two touchdowns and had 100 yards, something like that in that in that game. But he was on the sideline like, you know, I'm too old, I'm too slow, this, that, and the other. How the fuck y'all like me now? And he just goes out there and eat. It, it's amazing. I love Steve Smith. I cannot wait to listen to that dude's speech. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Honestly, you're going to see the video of that first game with the Ravens against the Panthers for 30% of that highlight video. He That was a special game and, and a great point by you. And I just remember he tore his eight, He said he, this was going to be his last year at that time. Tore his Achilles and it said, nah, fuck it, run it back. This will actually be my last year. Like, how many times do you see players give up on that? But, like, Steve, back to the dog mentality that Steve Smith has, that's just the epitome of what he is. He's like, nope, I'm coming back. Fuck it, fucking uh, Achilles tear. I'm coming right back for us. But, really, let's talk about this. This one, I'm really, I'm fun about our back and forth. Tony Romo, this is almost like a slightly more difficult, a more difficult Julian Edelman Hall of Fame or not conversation we can have. Tony Romo, obviously, we know he doesn't have any playoff success. Never went to a conference title game. Yet, Tony Romo has always been the name in our mouth that we can't keep out. Just like any other Dallas Cowboy in the past 40 years. Wally, is he or is he not a Hall of Famer? In my eyes, this is just a, this is a more entertaining conversation to have than the Julian Edelman Hall of Famer or not. What are your thoughts about Antonio Romo? And yes, if you don't know, that's his first name. I actually did not know that. So thank you for that little bit of fun trivia. Now, he's a guy that I would say is textbook fringe player in the league. And if you were going off of playing experience, playing success alone, I would say that I would leave him just off. And here's just a few stats I saw earlier that make your own mind up with these. But he had the most passing yards and touchdowns in Cowboys history. He had over 34,000 yards and 248 touchdowns. His 97.1 pass rating is ninth in NFL history. He tied for 10th in NFL history with Peyton Manning with a 65.3 completion percentage. And he is a 2.12 touchdown interception differential, which is 15th in NFL history. Now, that's very fringe. And if you are going to be a guy like that, you almost need that Eli Manning argument where, hey, I have these couple wins on my belt that elevate me. It's basically a grading on a curve. He has the opposite. You think about him in playoff games or at least big moments. What do you think about? You think about that dropped extra point or dropped field goal attempt with less than a minute left against Seattle where he doesn't get into the end zone even at the end. It's so gorgeous. He's just sitting there like a nice 90-degree right angle just clinching on to the to a space mask and bringing down his helmet over his nose. God, I fucking love it. it. Crazy was too. I bet you thought the same thing as me. 
you watch it every time. I still think he's going to get in. Like, I'm convinced he's going to get in and then tackle. This time it's going to change. Exactly. It's, it's like when you're watching Shawshank and you're like, oh, fuck. Dude, you're exactly right. It's like when you're watching Shawshank for the hundredth time because if it's on TV, people, you are watching that movie. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know what? For some reason, I know, call me crazy. It's been This movie's been out for going on 20 years, 20 plus. I think Andy Dufresne's getting caught this time, right? It's the same exact thing. Yeah, you're just like, nope, he's got, oh, where the fuck that guy come from? What do you mean this has been playing on ESPN for the past 12 years? Ironically enough, I watched that this last week on vacation just because you said what you just said. It was on TV. So I'm like, oh, cool. I jump in. You jump in. It's that iconic scene of them tarring the roof and having like two or three beers each in the golden hour of night. It's just like, you know, you feel it when you watch it. Anyways, that we're getting sidetracked. But yeah, Tony Romo to me, he's not a guy that's going to get on his playing ability alone. My bold call for you, Steven, is that Tony Romo doesn't get in necessarily as a strict player. I think he gets in as a player slash influencer because of what he's going to do with CBS calling games. Joe Buck just got in. That was a big deal this last week. People talked about it. And I think a lot of people understand in those situations too that it doesn't necessarily have to be a player to get in. With what he's done as a player, I think you're going to see a similar thing. I know Troy Aikman was different because he'd be in as a player regardless. But I think it's going to be a similar thing where he gets in because of both contributions to the sport instead of strictly being a quarterback. Those are all amazing points. Now, my how I stand about the Tony Romo Hall of Fame induction potentially, that, now it's kind of a double-edged sword here. So to your point, he has the, he has the most – Passing yards and touchdowns in Cowboys history. So he has 34,183 yards. So right now, sitting there, that's 34th overall in NFL history. Right behind him is Russ and Andy Dolan, a little bit less than like 1,300 yards. So after this year, he's going to be sitting around 36th. So he's going to be sitting with more passing yards than Steve Young, Y.A. Tittle, Kurt Warner, Sonny Jurgensen, as well as Troy Aikman in most career passing yards, all of which are in the Hall of Fame. 248 touchdowns in the NFL. That's 24th overall in NFL history. That's more than Jim Kelly, George Blanda, Steve Young, as well as Terry Bradshaw. So that's where it's going to be a little difficult because he has more passing touchdowns and more passing yards than some of these Hall of Fame quarterbacks that have already been inducted. Now the double-edged sword comment I made earlier, a lot of these guys that Tony Romo has passed it was a way different game back then. They weren't throwing in the capacity that they were in the NFL that Tony Romo was playing in. But here's my argument for him making the Hall of Fame, unfortunately. Obviously, all the stats that Wally had just listed off, the dude is top 15 in all of those. Okay, there's no playoff experience, no playoff success, I should say. So you take away that aspect of it. He has more passing yards than all those guys that I just listed, as well as more touchdowns than all those guys listed. Now, I'm expecting him to have more touchdowns than a Jim Kelly, a George Bland, a, you know, a Terry Bradshaw. I expect him to have more yards than a Y.E. Tittle, a Kurt Warner, who spent some of his career in the Canadian Football League, and a Sony Jurgensen, and a Troy Aikman, who was successful in his tenure with the Cowboys. But when you have Emmett Smith you can hand the ball off to, why do you need to pass as much as, as that? Now, Joe Montana is ahead of him in all these, but Steve Young is not. That's where the question is going to come. I would have to let Tony Romo in, and it pains me to say this, 
but he's put up more stats than this. But the one guy that stands out to me is that he's beating Steve Young. Well, Steve, you just said that the game was way different back then. Yeah, okay, I agree. But Steve Young and Joe Montana, they had that guy Jerry Rice. And Jerry Rice leads, leads every statistical category for wide receiver. So if he's beating out a Steve Young and a Joe Montana, which obviously not Joe, but he's beating out Steve Young who had said receiver and Jerry Rice, then it's going to be a little bit of knock. How could you not put someone in who's putting more touchdowns up? I'm only honing in on Steve Young. Bradshaw back then, obviously not. Jim Kelly, why would you? But I'm honing in on Steve Young. If he's putting up better numbers on there with a better team, or with a, if Tony Romo's putting up better numbers than a Steve Young when he was on worse teams throughout the duration of his career, that is what's kind of scratching my head. And that's why that's the only reason outside of the stats Wally presented is why I would let Tony Romo in. And I really hate myself saying that. It just goes to show how subjective the Hall of Fame really can be. Just because you have guys like Dan Marino, for instance, who never won an AFC title game, but statistically was one of the best ever. Arm talent, one of the best ever. And nowadays, 21st century, Matthew Stafford's going to set records for the statistical, what, I guess, success he's had. But how much of that is the difference of the game? That's why, what makes voting on the NFL Hall of Fame so hard. I think he waits, but he gets in eventually. That's my I'm not, final Yeah, say. I'm not saying he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He might be that next guy. He might be that first guy in our generation where it'll get to that point where you're like, dude, just fucking let him in. You're letting, you're letting in a couple worse quarterbacks with not as nice resumes or take away the trophies. Tony Romo's blowing these guys out of the water, but we're letting them in for Super Bowl rings and stuff like that. Like I wouldn't even put him with Eli Manning. I think Eli Manning has a little bit more impressive resume in that division with a better team throughout that duration of both their careers. But Tony Romo's going to be waiting there for a little bit because it's like that Mar- it's March Madness right here. You're part of that first four out, man. Hey, you're a great team, but I don't really think anyone wants to wants to see Jacksonville State make that tournament quite yet. I feel like Tony Romo's the guy that if you put Eli Manning and Tony Romo in the same conversation, Eli has the team success that might elevate him, whether that's right or wrong. But Tony Romo doesn't have that team playoff success. And I think that might be what holds him off. Well, we want to talk about playoff success. This is how you get it. We're going to switch it up from football to football. Lionel Messi leaving Barcelona. Leaving Barcelona. They were not able to get get right on the contract extension. If you saw his press conference, read the subtitles, he is claiming that he wanted to stay. He was trying to make it work out. Financially, it did not work out. And a little side note, once Messi left, all these news stories broke out that Barcelona is $1.6 billion in the hole in debt right now. This is only going to make it worse. Messi is being added to a Paris Saint-Germain team with Mbappe and Neymar already. Talk about an attack. You would think that Champions League, that is a tournament that they are most focused on to bringing back to Paris. But of course, everyone's waiting for that Juventus-Ronaldo matchup. A new rivalry with different teams. You guys aren't even in the same country anymore. You have twice as many countries tuning in as opposed to you just being in Spain. Will PSG, led by Messi, win the Champions League before he retires and leaves? And how sweet is this for PSG, but in general for soccer? I mean, I can't physically imagine being a defensive back in... I mean, this is insane. Mbappe, Neymar, Messi, together? 
That's insane. I and I I will be very anxious and excited for the potential of a Juventus Ronaldo versus a PSG Messi and Mbappe and Neymar. It feels wrong to even exclude them, but it ultimately comes down to Messi versus Ronaldo, just because that's what we do as fans of soccer. But yeah, dude, this is crazy. This is awesome and insane about the Barcelona 1.5 bill in debt or whatever you said it was. It's a big number one way or another, and they've got to figure that out. But good for PSG. I, I think good, too, for the fact that you're going to see some powers change a little bit there in, in Europe. For a long time, we've seen pretty much exclusively in Spain and England. It's good to see France and Germany and Italy all being involved with this to potentially win. So this is great, man. Now let's hit the links. J.R. Smith is going to be enrolling at North Carolina A&T to pursue a degree in liberal arts. But he also wants to join the golf team for them that he's waiting for the NCAA to check his eligibility so we can join that golf team. We basically need this to happen, Stephen. College golf is something we don't pay attention to usually. I mean, you have to go all the way back to Tiger to have any eyeballs realistically on it outside of the diehards of the sport. But this needs to happen. I don't even need to see it to know I love it, dude. Just knowing J.R. Smith is out there in the world, probably half a bottle of Hennessy deep, Shirtless shooting a 76 in a conference tournament. It makes me happy, Steven. Now, I'd have to look into the regulations, the rules. I don't know if they're able to have golf carts there, but could you imagine the golf cart that they, that he would have? That thing would just be bumping that 90s hip-hop. He's chilling shirtless. Just got a nice double cup styrofoam, some Henny in there, just to kind of take the tension off of all the pressure that he's going to be facing with, you know, as any collegiate athlete would. If you guys do not know, J.R. Smith made that jump from high school to the NBA. So I'm assuming he's still going to have all of his eligibility left. I'm also assuming that the NCAA doesn't really come across a lot of 35-year-old ex-NBA players that are really diving deep into college athletics. But you never know. You never know. Being being from North Carolina, NCAA and T, they get after it. All a matter of Tariq Cohen, if that's ringing a bell for you. But I remember being down there and their homecoming – Parties, my goodness, they had they were having Drake, Lil Wayne, Rick Ross, Young Jeezy coming just for a just for a homecoming weekend. Sprinkle that in with J.R. Smith, and could you imagine him just like chilling with all the you know those the token white dudes of the campus on the golf team? They're like, yeah, come on, we're gonna go hang out with Rick Ross, and they're just like, oh boy, that sounds fun. Richard Ross, my parents listen to him. I cannot wait to get in there. I'm sure it's far and few between the the. Uh, the preppy white guys on that team, but I can only imagine how funny those stories would be. That needs to happen. It feels like a storybook situation, and you know there's going to be great videos out there. So I'm I'm very much on the same page. But let's jump into some NFL stories right now, Stephen. Yeah, go- the reason, uh, and let's, let's keep talking about those videos and the reasons this man got cut. Olin Smith has been cut by the Seattle Seahawks right before their first preseason game. Smith was signed earlier in the offseason. Charged with second-degree battery in April, and now he just can't stand on the NFL roster, which has been his motto ever since the 49ers had let him go right after his amazing season. Dude has all the talent in the world and just cannot stay on the football field. Giving me very eerie, similar similar vibes as to what a Josh Gordon did, which is this wasted talent because they want to drink, go here. You know, addiction's a very tricky conversation to have or kind of – I understand how hard it is to function in a society when you are dealing with that, 
But when you have millions of dollars in your face, I think it can make it a little bit easier. Nonetheless, Alden Smith cut free agent from the NFL, most likely not going to be signing with another NFL team with this second degree battery charge looming. Why can't this guy ever get it right, Walter? You just said it. I mean, disease, addiction, all these things, they're not something I feel like we're we're still to this day, we're still learning about. It's it's sad because you have seen guys like as you mentioned, Josh Gordon. I also think of guys like Randy Gregory. Guys like Martavis Bryant, guys that have all the talent in the world that you know that if they could keep it between the lines, they could be really special talents. And unfortunately for them, it shows how powerful addiction can be that they would turn their nose up at this money for all the fame and success that could come with their football ability. I just hope he gets it right, man. He really had all the talent in the world, but there's, it, it, like you said, it's addiction. I, I don't, it's not good. It's 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 not a good situation. I hope that he figures it out. He obviously zero fun, sir. Yeah, I don't know. Just wishing the best for Alden Smith. Looks like a long road ahead. Absolutely, you can kiss the NFL dream goodbye. He's getting towards that. You know, he's getting towards that age where it's just not realistic that you're going to you're going to be able to contribute at a high level for an NFL team. But this is what kind of sucks being in the position that we're in. I'm not going to classify it as like media guys or anything, but. And we put that we put these players and these athletes and anyone who's famous on this pedestal when in, in reality they're just like us dealing with all of our shit. They just so happen to have mics and cameras in their face about 70% of their life. We're gonna keep it on the Seahawks train here. A little bit more positive. Jamal Adams inking a four-year $72 million extension with the Seahawks. That's why he got traded from the New York Jets originally, because he was having a little bit of problem with how much he's getting paid. Jamal Adams, as you guys remember, he had set the record for most sacks for a player that plays in the secondary. He set that NFL record this past year. I want to say with nine and a half, I'm going to go with that. I'm right because uh, I got a steel trap up here. Do you think that this Jamal Adams signing is a huge win for the Seahawks? Or because, quite frankly, I'm going to tell my answer. This defense is the pain point, the Achilles heel of this team. And I feel like you're locking up a lot of money on Jamal Adams when they're still looking for that extension for Dwayne Brown, their offensive lineman, who Russell Wilson went to the front office saying, we need this player. Feels like a lot of money is getting tied up here. How do you feel? And do you think that this is a win for Seattle in any way? Well, so this is the confusing part about this. And I guess I say it confusing. It's probably not the right word. Nine and a half sacks, 11 tackles for loss, 59 solo tackles, 83 combined. He only played in 12 games last year. What this guy does in the run defense and in the pass rushing aspect of defense is something you cannot deny. He has a knack for getting his nose on the football. What his shortcoming is, is that he is a box safety. He's not a guy that you typically think of as being an elite pass defender. Is the best way I would say it. I think he broke up. Uh, it was either one or three. There was another stat that would be the opposite of that. He either broke up one or three passes in 12 games. It's not great for a safety. Like we said, he's going to come up. He's going to make those plays within five yards of the line of scrimmage. But for the long passes, if he's going to get beat deep, he's not the guy you want back there. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Now, there is an argument to be made that you strengthen your strengths in the NFL and hope that that basically shields your deficiencies? I don't know. I, I, I have a difficult time. I was a little confused about the trade for him last year in general 
now you pair that with a team that's 31st in pass defense. And I, I just, I don't know. It's a lot of money. Agreed. You still got a KJ Wright that's floating around your free agency. Did you just let him walk a guy like that who's been such a stellar part of your defense outside of Bobby Wagner and that linebacking core? You let him walk to, to pay Jamal Adams a lot of this money. It's kind of the same thing with running backs. I don't really like paying running backs. I don't really like paying secondary guys that, that are your safety. I'd rather spend money more on a rush or a lockdown corner because he's not going to be playing one-on-one and, you know, individual at the same time, outside of Tyron Matthew sprinkling Justin Simmons for the Denver Broncos, who else would you give that money to for a safety in the league? Cause right now I'm not really having anyone that pops up out, out of my mind, maybe Harrison Smith for the Minnesota Vikings. And that's only because I'm a Packer and I, a Packers fan. I see him play twice a year and I know how great he is at leading that secondary for the Minnesota Vikings. I think it's interesting. We'll see how the Dwayne Brown contract is going to be looking if they can keep him. But after the offseason Seattle had about not keeping Russ happy, I know this is more or less on the offensive side of the ball, but signing a defensive player like this to an extension, we'll see how that cap space is going to be looking up because Tyler Lockett, yes, he got extended pretty recently, but why would he not want to get more money or a longer contract? DK Metcalf is going to be coming up here in two years on that contract. And that's not including Chris Carson potentially looking to get paid and Russell Wilson either restructuring or getting an extension for his contract as well. So there's a lot of pieces that go into this. I think in a couple years, we're going to look back and he's going to be one of those players that just was not the same after he got the big contract. They are a team to me that is built to be a playoff team and nothing more for the foreseeable future. You got to experience that as a Packers fan. And I think they're kind of going into a similar mold now where they're going to be consistently there but can't figure out why they can't get over the hump. And that's just a very frustrating place to be. It's so funny you uh, you said that. I've been thinking about that probably the past few days because now we're starting to get into that, what Russell's going into his 10th year. He won the Super Bowl his second full year starting. That was eight years ago. It's almost like they did an opposite of the Packers, right? They had such a great defense that they can build on that and just have Russ for cheap, and then now it's starting to go through the gutter. Green Bay, back then great offense, got really cheap on defense and kind of went south. How much longer do we have? You know, I'll I'll answer the question. I think it's two more years without Russ winning a Super Bowl because I don't see it happening within the next two years. I don't even see them coming out of the NFC, let alone winning their division over the next couple years outside of big moves happening in the offseason but how much longer do we have to sit here and be like seattle's front office the problem because they're obviously not getting it done and you have outside of you put pat mahomes aaron Rodgers off to the side who's a quarterback you're taking right now that you want to lead your franchise you put deshaun watson away because of everything that's happening off the field it's russell wilson every single time that you're picking that and he's not able to have a team formed around him where he can close out those games if it's either lack of talent on the offensive side or depleting defense. So locking all of your money up in Jamal Adams, I think in a couple of years we're going to look back and say, man, that was really the deciding factor. They had that offseason where Russell wasn't happy. They signed him, and then it all went to shit. No wonder Russell's playing for the Oakland Raiders. Sorry, for the Vegas Raiders. No wonder he's playing for the – Houston, Texas. No way he's playing for this team because I think that's the trajectory. 
his career is going to be going at in the next couple of years. If Jamal Adams can learn how and develop as a pass defender safety as well, have a little bit more of the free safety game in his own, be a little less of a box safety, maybe we look back in, in our favorable. But yeah, it's that sometimes going after a giant name when it's not the best move to go at that specific position is going to be a major drawback because you just said it, that offense has really regressed. I mean, we've talked about how poorly they've drafted, how poorly the offensive line has been addressed, how poorly the rushing game in general has. It's something we'll have to keep an eye on going forward. The last thing, the last comment I have that I find very ironic and funny is that you had a better safety on your roster two years ago that you refused to pay. And now you're paying this guy, overpaying Jamal Adams to bring in 60% of the production. Or as you were saying, Wally, Earl Thomas is better at the things that Jamal Adams is obviously deficient at. And you wouldn't pay Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas is 32 right now. He's not even on a roster. This is about to be a second year in a row not being on a roster, which I find mind-blowing. The guy's 32, last one or two years in his prime, yet you'll set up for Jamal Adams and overpay him when you could have gotten Earl Thomas cheaper two years ago. That's all I'm saying. The Colts are looking like Carson Wentz and Quentin Nelson are on pace for a week one start after the foot surgeries they both had this past couple weeks. Maybe not so fast on the Titans AFC South championship talk. I say hooey to that. Suck my dick, Steven. I was about to say, you said suck my dick on the rundown. Don't. Oh, trust me. Don't censorship yourself. Oh, don't, don't. Don't think that I'm going to be talking about it here. No, the Titans are still winning this division. I'm just trying to give the full run around here. Julio's still going to take the top off the defense while Derrick Henry is still Derrick Henry. He's going to be running down DeForest Buckner's throat. We'll see how all this goes over the next few weeks as we get closer to the season. What I will say is maybe we have a little bit more of a race in the AFC South than I wanted to give him credit for last week. Steven, whatever, say what you got to say. There's really nothing to be said on this. This is all smoke and mirrors like I was alluding to earlier about you getting a hard-on about your Vegas Raiders. I'll see you when I believe it. This is all just talk. You know, We know the media doesn't really portray. They either have a hyperbolized version of how we, how we are portraying these players or you know what's actually happening behind closed doors or nothing. Because if you guys are watching Hard Knocks, we just found out that Dak actually had a second surgery that no one found out about until – last Tuesday at 10 p.m. So maybe something's going on behind the scenes. Maybe they're just the coaching staff, the the trainers are giving misleading information so people won't prepare as much. And idiots like Wally will bet heavy on the Titans only for the Colts to come out on top. I only hope the best for Carson Wentz. The guy needs it the most on that roster. He cannot stay healthy on the field, as I was saying last week. So for him to potentially come back this early on, Hey, that's awesome. But at the same time, don't rush it. You have arguably the best guard. You can ask, you know, anyone outside of Cleveland potentially would agree with this. But you have the best guard in Quentin Nelson on there. Why would you want to rush that? You have Carson Wentz, your most competent quarterback in the since Andrew Luck. No knock to Phillip Rivers, but he's even a little bit better than Phillip Rivers, again, if he stays on the field. So take your time with this. But if they're coming back week one, 100%. No quotes around that percentage. I'm taking the Colts to win it. I'm taking the Colts to win the division. That defense. We need to make a bet on this. 
I'm sorry. That that's one of those. This is the. I feel like the division that we are most at arms with one another. But there has to be something surrounding it. Like I'm taking the Colts to win the division. That's all I'm but saying they, is the Titans win the but division. They have they have to they have to be back. If they're not back, I need them to be back by week three, and I'll stick with it. Or if there's a lingering foot injury, if it's if it's before week six and they go out, I'm out. But if it's past that, then I'm then I'm going balls to the wall. Week seven, they both break their foot, then I'll pay up. If either of them play thirteen or more games, that should be like the only stipulation to it. Because I'm saying even if they played seventeen, I'm taking the Titans. That's what I'm saying. But we'll talk about that next week, I guess, on our season preview show, or in two weeks, I should say, for our season preview show. You guys will be able to catch up on that. We will definitely have a few side backs going into the year. Now let's go over to the Patriots real quick. Mac Jones is going to be the first Patriots player to wear number 10 since Jimmy Garoppolo. When does Who's that? Yeah, exactly. I want to know from you first before we dive oh, is that tra- into Oh, is that this. Trey Lance's backup? Might as well be. I was going to say he will be at some point this year. What I want to ask you before we get too far into diving in on this when does Mac Jones get to get in this year? And second part of that question is Cam Newton's starting quarterback career on the line going into the 2021 season. Well, it's funny because I think we could both agree and argue that his his career for starting was up in the air going into last year, right? You know, the Patriots end up taking that taking that minimal high low risk high reward contract in just a one year bare minimum $1 million all incentive based bring Cam Newton back for a one year $14 million deal. So starting the NFL life on the line, yes and no, depending on one thing and one thing only. So Bill Belichick, you're paying him that money. Why would you not want him? Why would you not want Mac Jones to kind of sit back and learn a little bit? Not saying that he's going to be taught a lot from Cam Newton, and that's also not saying that Cam Newton can't teach a lot, but two different games, right? He can teach him a lot of the tangibles of work ethic, film, how to co- you know conduct yourself in the media, stuff like that. But Cam Newton's got Mac Jones will never replicate Cam Newton's game, but he can teach him a lot of that. But why would you not want to have Cam Newton as your starting quarterback going into this year? Because quite frankly, I think that he gives you the best opportunity. And I keep saying this double-edged sword because Cam Newton's such a tight end driven quarterback where this offense is built around him to succeed at the same time, when you're a rookie quarterback, who's the number one guy you're going to your tight ends. So it's also built for him at that same time. And you know, Bill Belichick and his defense, it's great. They start the year off with Miami. They're at New York. They go or they play home games against the saints Buccaneers. Then they play at Houston against Dallas than the Jets. That is their first seven games. We'll go with their first eight. Last last one to kind of cut it semi-half down the middle is against the Chargers. So realistically, you can have Cam Newton hoisting up a 6-2, and 5-3 and three team. So there's really no pressure. The back half of this schedule, you got at Carolina, you got the Browns. That's a tricky game. At Atlanta, eh. Titans, tricky game. At Buffalo, at Indy. Then Buffalo, Jacksonville, Miami to end the year. I don't see a good time when you'd want to present Mac Jones that opportunity to prove himself. Because if Cam Newton fucks up those first seven games, why not? Even if you're paying him that money. But if you, like I said, if you're at that six and two, five and three, 
going into the brunt of your schedule, you got to stick with Cam, and Max just got to eat that year. Okay, so I think Cam Newton's career is over. I'll just come out. I and thought say it was that. over prior to coming into this year. Him getting this contract was mind boggling to me personally. I, I think that this will be his last time going into a season as a starting quarterback because he's going to be more than talented enough to be a quality backup, and that means he could have starts in the future if a starter gets hurt in front of him. But this is the end of the road where he starts a season as a starting quarterback. Mac Jones looked halfway decent in his po- or postseason in his preseason start the other day. It looks like there's a lot of good things coming out of that Patriots camp that Mac Jones is showing that ability to forecast plays, predict. I, I yeah, there there's it's not predict, right? It, it's not forecast or predict, but the people are going to know what we're saying. He's got that ability to see the play as it's happening. He's seeing it develop. He's being, I guess, smart enough to know where guys should be, whether that's offense or defensive players. That's exciting at this stage. And especially if, realistically, I joked about my Super Bowl dream at the start of this episode, if you are Bill Belichick, if you are the New England Patriots, and you realize this season isn't going to bring hardware home, why not let Mac Jones get in as soon as you feel that he is comfortable to play? You might as well at least let these young players develop Instead of sit on a bench, I think that there is a chance that if the Dolphins and Bills start slow, you might see Cam a little longer than normal. But regardless, I'd be stunned if we hit the halfway point of this season and Mac Jones is not the starting quarterback in New England. Depending on what the record's going to be. Now, hindsight's going to be 2020. I'm most interested to see how Cam Newton is going to play those first few games because then we're really going to sit back and go, it's all, and it's all going to be a butterfly domino-esque effect. If they're a three and four, 500, you know, four and four team, would you have just been better off not signing Cam Newton, having the extra $14 million in space where maybe you could have just gotten, maybe you could have bulked up a little bit and gotten a Marvin Jones, a Kenny Galladay for your receiving core and just taken the risk with Mac Jones and been more successful? Hindsight's going to be 2020, but do you think that this Patriots team would have been more su- is going to be more successful with bringing back Cam Newton or kind of predicting right here, right? Like we're talking with Mac Jones. Would you think that just bringing in Mac Jones from the start and knowing that they would have been better off? I think regardless, I'd be playing Mac Jones early on in this year if it was me personally, just because Cam Newton has not proven to be a passer in the last three years. Even if you start the year three and four, whatever, like you said, if those three wins are coming off of games that you're looking at the JT Barrett Ohio State offense where Cam Newton has to run the ball 15 to 20 times a game, that's not sustainable over the course of a year. Defensive coordinators adjust to it. I think it's a waste of time to have Cam Newton starting at the start of the season this year if you have any aspirations whatsoever because I mean he's not good enough to win anything I don't think Mac Jones is either but you might as well at least figure out what you got we're saying the same thing about Tom Brady and Mac Jones gives me those Tom Brady vibes in the sense that he was like slept on you know he's a guy coming off fresh off a national championship game a with a loaded roster yes but b he was that last quarterback getting drafted we had Zach Wilson going yeah Justin Fields going Trevor Lawrence He's also Zach still Wilson, going Justin 15. Fields. He's not going 199. No, absolutely. But, you know, when have you ever seen a national championship winning quarterback 
go anything less than the top five in that draft, regardless of what that quarterback talent was. You kind of feel what I'm saying? It's not like this isn't like when Lamar Jackson dropped the 31 after winning a national championship. Yeah, sure, he had won the Heisman. Cool. But there was a lot of, of pro-ready molding, ready to be molded into a pro-ready quarterback. Not I think, Lamar Jackson. I think there's a lot more national title winning quarterbacks so you'd go back and be surprised at how low they get drafted. I mean, Tim Tebow was a late first and he was honestly overdrafted there. Yeah, we'll talk. Well, oh yeah. yeah well, we'll I was just saying. Let's not. I don't even want to entertain the Tim Tebow talk. I like. We already are. No, it's on the rundown. This is my only. Th- Wait, where is it on the rundown? Oh, it's Doesn't way matter. down there under the Jaguar struggles. All I'll Legality. say on this. All I'll say on that is, if you are annoyed with the Tim Tebow talk or the Tim Tebow talk, then quit talking about it because he's a 34 year old third string quarterback that is deciding to play tight end who got cut. It's no big deal. If you want it to go away, then let it go away. But I'm, I'm what, fuck that's fine. It, Why I'm not, even get I'm a not giving, spot? like, I have nothing against him, Tebow, the human being. It's just like, I don't want to talk about a third string tight end. And that's fine. Let's go to the Steelers. He's not a third string tight end. He's no one's tight end. He's was former third string tight end. That's fine. Let's go before, into our final topic <laughs> before we run through our early preseason takeaways. The artist, the third, the third string. String the artist, artist formerly, formerly known. known yeah, exactly. But here, the Steelers traded for former Brown and Jaguars linebacker Joe Schobert in exchange for six-round pick in the 2022 draft to Jacksonville. To me, this is a huge fucking get. The guy's a secret gem in the league. Devin Bush, Robert Spillane, and then, of course, naturally, Joey, Joey, Joe Schobert now. It's a fun young core. He still has four years left on his deal. Less than a million in his first year, and then between eight and eleven the next three, and then naturally I have to point it out too. I played against him in high school, so it's whatever. I don't know if that's a big deal or not. But congrats to the Steelers. That's a big get. Defense looks like it's going to be very good yet again. Whether that's without Bud Dupree and Steven Nelson, that's fine. Defense looks to be good. The questions all go back to Big Ben, that offense, offensive line, the running game, et cetera, et cetera. What was your thoughts, Stephen, on the Joe Schobert trade? I'm a big Joe Schobert guy. It has nothing to even do with the Browns. So back when they came to the league, he had Blake Martinez. He was he plays for the New York Giants now, middle linebacker. I want to say number 54. He started his career with the Packers. Blake Martinez, Joe Schobert, and Bobby Wagner were those three dudes' top three in tackles, basically for a three- to four-year span that no one talked about outside of Bobby Wagner. No one talked about Joe Schobert. No one talked about Blake Martinez. I think this Joe Schobert trade is awesome. Yeah, he is not going to be that guy that's coming off the edge for you like a Bud Dupree, but you don't need that when you have T.J. Watt firing on all cylinders and you have that guy sitting at the second level for that running back, that guard, ready to blow him out, blow him up, whatever it may be. But Joe Schobert, since he's been a starting caliber middle linebacker, 144. 103, 133, 141. Those are his tackles. The only reason he has 103 in 2018 is because he missed three games. Other than that, those are the only games that he's missed. So best ability is availability, which he is right there. And he is a tackling force. This isn't safeties. You know, we're talking about Jamal Adams being a force on that on that rushing game, this isn't safety's having a high number of tackles. This is your middle linebacker. 
That run is stopping when he is right there. So I think that's a great get for the Steelers. He's the kind of guy that he's prototypical 21st century linebacker. He's quick. He's good out of the backfield and coverage. He's willing to get in there and put the shoulder down and make a play in the hole. But on top of that, you you just have a guy that, like you said, he's going to play. He's not going to get banged up too often. Huge gift for the Steelers, especially with that linebacking core that's kind of struggled to stay healthy in the last few years. He's more of the interior guy, so it's not as much of the Bud Dupree replacement. That's where you get the Melvin Ingram. I love, though, simply that now you have Spillane as a guy that can come in if either Bush or Schobert needs a breather. It's just a fun defense top to bottom. If this was a team that had Big Ben at 33 years old right now, I'd make a case that they're a Super Bowl favorite. But right now, simply because of the offensive side of the ball, if I'm a Steeler fan, I just hope that that defense survives under contract long enough to get a quality quarterback and offensive line back in there to be a realistic Super Bowl threat. Joe's contract is under a million this year. And then he makes that jump to 8.75. And obviously it climbs up to a little bit north of 10 and then just slightly under 11 the following year. Great get for the Steelers. We'll do like our uh, we'll do like a fat man two minute drill. So this will probably last like four or five minutes. It takes us a little bit longer to get through everything, but kind of some early preseason takeaways. I know you want to talk about Dwayne Haskins and the battle for the number two quarterback. How do you think that's going so far? Man, I tell you what, talk about staying on Steelers talk with something I'm fired up about. Anyone who's followed us since the very first episode of Lost It Down knows that I am a Dwayne Haskins truther, top to bottom. I picked the Washington football team to win the division last year because of him. Ironically enough, it was the defense. For the record, I was high on that defense as I'm high again on them and I'm picking them to win. We'll get into that next week. Yes, you are very high. I'm very high on them, them and that's fine. And I accept it. What I will say, Dwayne Haskins is going to start a regular season game for the Pittsburgh Steelers this year. That will happen. He's better than Mason Rudolph. People around here are starting to figure that out. And what happens when the Steelers start something like 3-4, and 2-5? and five, The Ravens and the Browns are two games up two months in. I think that at some point you might see a phantom injury from Big Ben and Dwayne Haskins gets a start and has the opportunity to prove that he deserves a shot at the starting job going into the 22 season. Dwayne Haskins, my guy, Pittsburgh Steelers, look out. Dwayne wasn't too impressive in the first preseason outing in the Hall of Fame game. 16 of 22, buck 61, and one touchdown in the past week's preseason game against the Philadelphia Eagles. There's some promise there. He's playing against twos and threes, so we'll see. He can play with those guys, which there's, at the end of the day, the twos and threes, there's still a lot of talent on that football field. We'll see what he looks like against the number ones, and that's a hell of a division to go up against if you're going to take over and Big Ben gets injury-prone, or he is injury-prone, especially with that shoulder, that elbow. That's kind of been lingering over the last few years. But if Dwayne gets a shot, I don't know how confident I am. That defense can take you far enough, and they proved that the past couple years with having a Mason Rudolph and a depleting Ben Roethlisberger at your quarterback position. Justin Fields, I thought he looked pretty decent. He came out the gates a little bit rough, kind of showed his legs a little bit. I think Justin Fields is going to be a problem in the NFL for for years to come. I got lucky because Aaron Rodgers last year in Green Bay happens to be Andy Dalton's first and only year in Chicago. 
which I love. So we at least get one more division. Made a couple nice throws. He's been making nice throws in training camp. Allen Robinson, those guys all love him on that roster. We're going from one Buckeye to another. I'm imagining you're feeling more confident about Justin over Dwayne. Oh, my God, without question. And I still think that Dwayne Haskins has the right to deserve a shot, but that we already talked about that. And this is our basically NFL two-minute drill, so I'll be fast, Steven. Justin Fields is the future. The Bears are going to be the team in the next decade. When we look back in 2030 and we ask who won the most division titles between 2020 and 2030, look out. It's Chicago's time. Justin Fields is the truth. Justin Fields is that guy. If I am a Bears fan, I'm fired up right now. He'll be in by the end of October, and the future is now. I will never believe it. I'm struggling with it. Not as bad as Jacksonville. That team looks bad. Trevor Lawrence looked eh. I don't really like it. Tim Tebow got cut. We have to talk about this before we leave. I am so fucking happy this guy got cut. He never should have had this chance in the first place. Only reason he did was was because of Urban Meyer. And he looked horrible. Those pass blocking, run blocking videos that we saw over the weekend. I know that we always joke about and everyone in the world jokes about, I could do better. I could do better. When realistically, we're not going to be better than any professional athlete. I can confidently say both of us would have blocked better than Tim Tebow did. Thoughts about Tebow getting cut, him as a human in general, and Urban Meyer really struggling in his first preseason game. Nonetheless, this is a preseason game for the players and for the coaches because that's his first NFL game. What were your thoughts on him? You said person first. I have nothing against Tim Tebow, the person. He has very strong beliefs and credit to him. He follows them. That's more than I can say for many people out there. On the field, Tim Tebow, he is not worthy of discussion and I'm not going to go in that route. If I started playing tight end and got cut in the preseason, nobody would talk about it because I don't deserve that. Nothing against him, the person, but as a football player, he does not belong in the conversation. So I'm done with that. And I think this is the last time we talk about on field Tim Tebow for a long, long time. We're not talking about off field Tim Tebow ever. Yeah, it's basically done. So embrace it. I'm this over it. This is an anti-Tim Tebow podcast. This is a not giving him the time of day podcast. And that's not a, for me anyways, I don't have anything against Tim Tebow, the person. I just am tired of talking about the football player, Tim Tebow. He's not good at football. Now the last one we have, ESPN hires Alex Smith for periodical analysis for Monday Night Football Countdown, Sunday Night Football Countdown, and occasionally on other programs on the network. All I'll say, feels like a natural fit. Guy's very intelligent. He's a very good person from all accounts. And when you watch his interviews, he's well-spoken for. I think he's a perfect fit for ESPN. And I think that it's going to help. It can't hurt some of these, <laughs> what, primetime slots. They've been kind of falling off in the last few years. So good for them. That seems like a great get. Yeah, I could really give two shits about Alex Smith going to ESPN. ESPN's a boring company right now. And that's probably going to take away from uh, us ever excelling in that. But... At the same time, Alex Smith's wife is really hot, so that's that's good for her. I like that she's getting to continue to live the lifestyle that she's grown accustomed to. But overall, I couldn't I couldn't give any less shits about this story. And that's gonna bring us to an end of another great episode here of Lost of Down. Of course, follow us on all of our social media platforms. We have our Instagram and our Facebook. 
at loss of down. And of course our Twitter down underscore loss where Mr. Walter Lukashensky loves to be very active on there. And it's typically pretty funny. I'd have to say, like I said, he is Walter, my co-host in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Do you have any parting words? Two weeks, that beginning of September, we're going to have our preview show. It's going to be a long one. If you were around for us at the start of our show, our first episode last year was like two hours and change. Probably expect the same things. Going to be a lot of time, so we enjoyed our time off. We appreciate you guys being patient with us. But otherwise, yeah, Stephen, beginning of September, we got our preview show, and then all of a sudden, we're all systems go, buddy. Finally get our gambling back, a little prop lock and drop it for our day ones. And also, potentially a new segment. But you'll have to find that out in the following episodes. Until a couple weeks from now, he is Wally. I am Steve. This is Loss of Down. And we will catch you with some bets next time. R.I.P. Bobby Bowden, you're the damn man. Oh, yeah. How do we not even talk about that? There's no easy way to just bring that up in an NFL podcast. Yeah. And speaking about second-degree battery, Bobby Bowden...